Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Extra Extra Read All About It podcast with me, Paul Cuddehy and Chris Dolan. And coming up on this episode, we chat about what we have been reading, what we are currently reading and what we're planning to read next. We also chat about guilty pleasures in literature, should there be such a thing, and the challenge of reading books with themes you disagree with, and a lot more besides, including plenty of book news and clips from the current and forthcoming Read All About It podcast. Chris, uh, thanks again for joining me on the Extra Extra Read All About It podcast. It's always, it's always fun, looking forward to it. We did it last month, and then obviously I'm mentioning things that we have read, what we're currently reading, or what we're going to be reading. And it's, I always feel this is the homework part of the podcast, so we we have to admit what we have or haven't been reading. So I'm going to uh, I'm going to let you start this then and tell us what you've been reading over the past month. Okay, well, my, my excuse last time around was reading loads of scripts for university, and that's still the case. But I have managed to be reading some things which are very interesting. But none of the things I said I was going to read, things kind of get in the way and stuff happens. So the book that I read in a couple of days, mainly because I really wanted to, but partly because it's not quite out yet, but will be very, very soon, is a book called In a Veil of Mist by Donald S. Murray. I read it because I'm going to be doing one of his launches with him. It's, uh, I think it's coming out at the end of next month. Donald S. Murray is an extraordinary writer. I've got to know him. And in fact, he's, he's, he plays a part in uh, my last book because it was him that suggested the entire idea, not of actually cycling across Spain, for uh, Everything Passes, Everything Remains, but to write a book about it, which hadn't occurred to me until Donald happened to mention it over a coffee in Glasgow. But Donald is a, is a writer from Lewis. He's lived on uh, Shetland for a number of years now, but he's very much a Geltach writer. And he was known mainly as uh, a writer of fact. He, he wrote a book, for instance, on Pete, the stuff you dig out the earth, which doesn't sound exciting. It's a great book. It's one of those things that you, something you never think about. You think, God, that's really interesting. So, yeah, uh, but he, he, he kind of made his debut, uh, I don't know what age Donald is, my age older, uh, at some point in the 60s, and he made his debut as a novelist last year with As a Woman Lay Dreaming. It's a fantastic book. And it's about the Isle Air disaster when on New Year's Day at the end of the First World War, men who um, were returning from the war, the captain of the boat took too many people on the boat and it sank within sight of Stornoway Harbour and hundreds were lost. It's one of the, the great tragedies of uh, the West Highlands or Scotland. And he wrote an unbelievably beautiful book, which is not really about the Isle Air, but it's kind of you know, about these lives and it kind of culminates in uh, the Isle Air disaster. Well, he's kind of pulled off the same trick again uh, in this book, In a Veil of Mist. Have you ever heard of Operation Cauldron? No. In 1952, Government uh, experiments in on the uh, on a, a ship just off the Isle of Lewis were experimenting with chemical uh, weapons on monkeys and guinea pigs and uh, various animals potentially to use, which is kind of extraordinary. Uh, and the book is just so well timed for a number of reasons. I mean, one that you know we were doing this too, so all the outrage you know over uh, other countries of chemical weapons and uh, Iraq and all that we've been doing it for nigh on a hundred years seeing there's any possibility of both developing and using chemical weapons. Uh, and the other thing which is really timely with this book, and it's, it's chance, Donald says more than anything else, is that had that stuff leaked out, which it did from, from Grunyard as the island called, where they, they experimented with anthrax as well some years before that, and some did le- leak out uh, and destroyed a lot of wildlife. And I think Grunyard to this day is, is uninhabitable. But if this stuff had leaked out, there would have been a pandemic across everywhere that it affected. And it affected more than just the, the Hebrides, because the boats that sailed quite often from Fleetwood in England 
um, or from around the other way from Aberdeen, any boats that got infected with that. And there was one boat in particular which they really worried about that they'd been infected by the chemical weapons. Could have spread that to the whole of Lancashire through Fleetwood into Manchester. It didn't happen, thankfully. But Operation Cauldron went on for a whole number of years and it only came out almost accidentally because one man finally uh, mentioned it. So it's an extraordinary background. But again, as Donald always does, it's kind of not really about Operation Cauldron. Like uh, the ILR disaster, that's in the background all the time. It's a series of really wonderfully written love stories, really, and relationship stories about immigration, immigration, about people coming on and off the island, about fishing people. And there's two or three central love stories to it. Um, he's, he's, he's a lovely poetic writer. Um, he's got a great story to tell, so it's got all the pace of a, of a, of a thriller novel, but it's, it's written in such beautiful, quite simple language. It's a fantastic read. It's quite, it's quite a disturbing read, but it's, it's also incredibly enjoyable. Because it's almost like those two books, not quite, well, to an extent, Scotland's Forgotten History, because I think obviously a lot of people may have heard of the Isle of disaster without knowing a lot of details of it. It's a real, real heartbreaking story. But this other one, I mean, I'm guessing most people would not be aware of that. So I think even but to tell it in novel form, I think it's, I mean, he's kind of doing a service to people in terms of learning more about your, that this history, the good and the bad of it, that, that's on our doorstep. I think that's exactly right. And I think a lot of people are going to be shocked. I'd never heard of it. And any of the people I've spoken to, not that many, but I don't know if anybody else has heard of it. There will be some people, presumably, that know people who really know their particular histories or whatever, but it's certainly not well-known. Um, and it's incredibly well-timed, you know, the idea of dangerous chemicals getting out into into the community and creating pandemics and all of that. So, yeah, it's fantastic. And he, and he mixes up the whole number of things, as, as he tends to do anyway. There's quite a lot of Gaelic song in it. So you get songs which are then translated. It's actually lovely just seeing the Gaelic. And there's lots of, uh, because of the, the, the religious history of Lewis uh, and the Hebrides, there's a lot about religion and a lot of uh, stuff which really kind of links into the plot very cleverly of uh, kind of readings almost from the Old Testament, which again are it's, it's this lovely mix of Gaelic and song and music and love stories and kind of local gossip and Old Testament readings. And then behind it all, this horror is happening just offshore. So I, th- I, think, I think it could be, I really hope it will be too, kind of a, a smash hit because it's quite an extraordinary story. I mean, I'm I'm really looking forward to reading that and his other book. I also I'm quite intrigued about the the book about Pete because I read last year I read a book called I think it was the Glorious Life of the British Oak and it was just basically a short book about oak trees, which again is not something I would normally read, but I was absolutely fascinated by it and that intrigues me. The idea of reading a book about Pete, you know, as you say, it doesn't sound that appealing, but actually I'm I'm guessing if you know the, you, the way you're describing how he writes. It's probably quite it's captivating. It's got political. There's all, there's all the science of the, the, you know, the ecology of it, and Pete can be very difficult. You shouldn't be digging it all up because it releases a lot of carbon, but equally can trap carbon, does all that stuff. But then all sorts of really fantastic stories, and not just from the West Islands or from Scotland or Ireland. Uh, he looks at Ireland in some detail too in that book, but from all over the world. And the political stories, how Pete becomes politically uh, important at times. So, yeah, I think you'd love it. It's a, he's a great researcher um, and also a great storyteller, Donald. Yeah, I'm definitely going to check that out. If I, I'm going to give you a list of a few of the books that I've read in the past month. I'd mentioned in the last of these episodes, I was going to read uh, The White Ship by Charles Spencer, the kind of historical non-fiction book. It's a kind of like Game of Thrones set in late 12th century England. Really, really good book. And I would certainly recommend it. Once I had finished it, and then I went on to read another non-fiction book called Beatles 101 by Vicky Riley. 
So I'd put the picture of the two covers on Twitter and just mentioned about, you know, the different contrast between the two non-fiction books. And Charles Spencer, who is, I'd mentioned before, is Princess Di's brother, he responded to it and just said, thanks very much, glad you enjoyed the book. So I thought, my mum, who is, for reasons that I just can't even begin to fathom, who loves the royal family. So I thought, she's going to be dead chuffed when I tell her that Charles Spencer's been tweeting me. Okay, I think the knighthood's in the post as well, Paul. You're, uh, you're moving in the right circles now. I, I, I think I think that'll be a long time coming. I mentioned that book by Vicky Riley, who's going to be a future guest on the Read All About It podcast, uh, The Beatles 101. It's a brilliant book. So it's basically telling the story of the Beatles in 101 different chapters, episodes, as it were. It's not a definitive story, as she would say, but it's a perfect introduction, particularly if you don't know anything about the Beatles. But even for people who do, it's quite nice to just dip in again and she tells you all these wee gems about different songs and albums and people that were involved in the whole Beatles story that makes you want to then go and listen to the music or go and read more books. And I mean, I can't recommend it highly enough. And I know you and I have, I mean, I think it's not that we we have this opinion. I think it's fact that the people who don't like the Beatles are for the watching. So um, I always liked your, your original way of putting that, Paul. People who don't like the, the Beatles must have their ears painted on. I, I, I've I stand, used that expression ever since. <laughs> I stand by that. And on that kind of Beatles link, and I know this is a book that you were recommending to me for a while, which I, I've just finished reading, is the novel Beetlebone by Kevin Barry. I read Last Boat to Tangiers last year with Kevin Barry and I passed it on to you. And it was a brilliant book. I thought Beetlebone was just amazing, absolutely amazing. So clever and absolutely engrossing. Just that idea of John Lennon going to Ireland. He wants to try and get onto this island that he's bought, Durnish. And it's just a brilliant, brilliant story. And Kevin Barry's just a brilliant writer. He is totally phenomenal. I mean, even about that, if it's a road movie, it's a chase movie. Uh, this book has got everything because uh, he's been chased all over the place. He's trying to get away from reporters. And I love the character of his taxi driver, his uh, the, yeah, the local farmer. I, yeah. Cornelius is just a brilliant. So as one of those books, it's kind of deeply sad because it's all about, you know, he knows he's going to die. In some way or other, it's, it's kind of foreshadowed by all that, but it's also hilarious. I mean, I found that it was a laugh out loud book. Well, the funniest, the first funny bit, well, one of the first funny bits is when he, he's got a driver and he just decides to abandon him. He ends up in this wee town and this stray dog suddenly comes up to him and he's sitting on the bench and he, he, he decides from the way he looks, he looks like a, he calls him Brian Wilson from <laughs> the Beach Boys. I think that was just hilarious. And then, and then refers to him just as Brian Wilson from then on. <laughs> But your, your Vicky Riley book too, I was on a Victor Book Festival online, of course, uh, with Vicky. And she did a couple of readings from and I read a couple of things that are online in the Scottish Book Trust. Keep me into getting because it's absolutely not up my uh, up my street. Uh, I love the idea of the book. And I thought she was a very, uh, the bit she read out, she's a very engaging character. And the very fact she's so young, you know, so I mean, it's, it's almost her grandparents' music, not even her parents' music. I mean, she's so young, but discovering this new music to her. Yeah, um, and I, I, I did say to her as well, kind of like half dropping a hint that I, I think a, a Duran Duran 101 would be a great addition to that series. You would. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, one of the books I've been reading, I keep meaning to mention it actually, is, I don't think you might have seen actually, um, I've replaced and uh, I've got several books in, in our bathroom, which maybe is not all that hygienic, I don't know. But I used to have the Beatles uh, Revolution in the Head, which I still think, and you and I have both read this and discussed it a lot, but I still think it's probably the best book ever written about any music, uh, popular music ever. It's just so well researched, so well written. And it's just taking the song by song, every single Beatles song, song by song. I've replaced it with a, a Dylan song by song, which, which is a French, which is later from the French version. 
and it's absolute rubbish. So I could use this program <laughs> to tell him it's, it's quite a, an expensive book. It's mainly all photographs. The photographs are good, but it doesn't do anything like what either Vicky Riley does in 101 or what a Revolution in the Head does, actually giving you something to get your teeth in to, to make you want to listen to the Beatles, or in this case, Dylan. It just says, this is a really good song, and he plays guitar on it. I was like, well, obviously. You know, so um, no, that would be to, I would uh, link up with uh, Vicky Riley's is there's a book called John Lennon, The Original Beatle, which I thought was a terrific, it's a, it's a beginner's guide to John Lennon. So it's, it's very short. I mean, it's written for people who don't really know very much about John Lennon at all. And it's written by a guy called uh, Chris Dolan. <laughs> <laughs> I think the publisher's gone bust now, but uh, I know it's, uh, somebody told me recently actually got it online for uh, cheaply, no doubt. Um, so it's still around. Excellent. Yeah. I, like, I like that when you're recommending your own Absolutely. I'm keeping with a couple of other Irish writers that I've read recently. And one of the previous guests in the podcast, uh, Aidan McQuaid, had mentioned just in passing a book called Reading in the Dark by Seamus Dean, which he said was, in his opinion, was arguably the best Irish novel of the 20th century. And when he said it, it kind of rang a bell in my head and I thought, I've got that book. And I, I just read it the other week there. And it is, it's set in Derry in the kind of late 40s, early 50s mainly. And it's a story of a, a family living in Derry and kind of family secrets that are, are just running like a thread through, slightly linked to what was going on in Ireland at the time. It's like a series of kind of short chapters, short episodic chapters. And they are just, he says so much in so few words that it's just, it's an it's extraordinary skill as a writer that you're totally in this story. And it may only be a couple of pages, but he's so good at doing it. And I would thoroughly recommend that book. And the other one we mentioned before, I think on this last podcast about Marion Keys, about how we both thought she was really engaging in terms of social media. So I decided uh, I would read a Marion Keys book. And the one that I chose was Rachel's Holiday. I really enjoyed it. It took me a wee while to get into it. But when I did, I have to be honest, I really, really enjoyed it. And it made me think about when I was mentioning there about wanting to talk about guilty pleasures, because it was interesting, Marion Keys, she had mentioned uh, about the whole thing about guilty pleasures. I'm just going to get the quote up that she spoke about the fact that she thought guilty pleasures were just a lot of nonsense. Um, no such thing. If it's, if it's pleasurable, it's pleasurable. She said, so basically she tweeted and she said, once again, a plea, can we, for the love of God, dispense with the phrase guilty pleasure? If I like something, I like it. Who do I need to explain myself to? So long as I'm not doing damage to another person or indeed beasts of the field, where's the problem? We are not a shower of tittering basics who are ruled by the list of suitably wholesale shows and books thought up by some faux-brow hyacinth bucket. We are not infantilised gobshites without the courage of our convictions. If we like it, we like it. No need for guilt. And I thought that that's a perfect way to say about guilty pleasures. Because I think some people, if I was saying to some people, I, I've read Marion Keys, people might be surprised because they wouldn't think I'm the kind of demographic for it. But I just think if you enjoy the book, the same way as if you enjoy the film, the TV series, the music, whatever, that's the start and end of it. It's, it's a bit too easy, but it kind of, uh, you know, there's only, cliche, there's only two types of writing, good writing and bad writing. If you like it, you like it, it's good, it's good. I haven't said that. Some people think bad writing is good writing and what you, somebody else thinks is bad. Like, I noticed, for instance, one of the books that you're not reading is Ulysses. Uh, <laughs> so that's still taking a back, a back shelf for you. So it just depends as long as you, as long as you like it. Before we go from Marion Keys, I heard a great quote. Just something to hear a trailer for something she was doing on the radio, which I haven't heard yet. But I just thought it was a, a wonderful line. She said, There are only 13 people in Ireland. The rest is done by murders. And apologies, <laughs> apologies for the accent. I said, Sorry for the accent. I should get it right having an Irish mother, but there we go. 
Well, I've got another one I've been reading as well, off and on, uh, again, because it's something that I'm doing. Uh, there's two books, actually, about, I've been reading. Uh, but one that I mentioned just now is uh, Robert Cunningham Graham, who I go on about a lot with you and probably quite often in these podcasts, but I'm, I'm a big fan. It's this guy who was one of the original founder members of the Labour Party, then the Scottish National Party, and he left both of them. And it's just a swashbuckling, incredible creature. But he wrote a book, probably because I went along to a talk and I thought it was fascinating, so I've been reading it called Inarcadia, which is his journeys through Paraguay, particularly amongst local farmers, but also the Guarani Indians. Uh, and just very interestingly, it's the kind of stuff that is the same kind of setting as the mission film, but it's about how the Jesuits, the people who kind of organize life for the, or the, or the, the colony uh, in Paraguay, and how actually Cunningham Graham and later writers uh, think that, you know, colonialism is not a good thing, but given that it's there, they did a very good job. And it's kind of not what you tend to be told a lot about how they were great educators, how they learned the Guarani language, how they, they wrote it down, they preserved it, uh, they kept the, the Indians safe from from uh, slave hunters um, and all of that. So it's a really interesting, it's, it's essentially a long essay or a very short book about his travels in Paraguay in about the, the latter half of the 19th century. So yeah, I just thought it's worth a mention. Well, as you know, this is the, the Extra Extra podcast brought to you by Read All About It. And we do have the, the regular podcast that comes out every Monday. And the latest episode, which is out just now, which you can listen to if you haven't already, is from the writer Douglas Skelton. We're going to be chatting about him just in a wee second. But first, here's a wee chance to listen to Douglas, who has chosen for his book that he would recommend to anyone, Mystic River by Dennis Lehane. Mystic River is just, for me, the perfect crime book. And I can't really explain why. It's just something that works. Now, Dennis Lehane is, a, is an incredible writer. I, I love his work anyway. And this was not the first of his books that I read. I, I think that I, I read the Kelsey and Gennaro series before I, I got to Mystic River. But it's just, it's more than a crime book. I, I, I will defy anybody. And I, I get very annoyed when the film came out because a film critic said, and we have to remember this is based on a pulp fiction. And I don't think Mystic River is pulp fiction. The depth of characterization, the intricacies of the plot, the darkness of the plot, and the whole way it plays out, it's, it's, it's an absolute tragedy, this book, the, the story that this book tells. But he tells it so well, and again, doesn't forget to bring some humour, which I think is very, very important. And it, it is a book that I would recommend and have recommended to anybody who wants to read a crime novel. And in fact, the film itself, which was directed by Clint Eastwood, is one that I say is one of the most perfect adaptations of a book I've ever seen. Everything you need from the book to be in the film is in the film. And if you haven't seen that, I recommend that as well. The reason, Chris, I was mentioning, you know, obviously we were going to chat about him is, again, when you and I were talking last week, you said that you were reading one of Douglas's books and uh, really enjoying it. Yeah, um, the, the Blood is Still, which is his most recent, I'm pretty sure, is his most recent. And I've known Douglas for a long time and I've heard him read and I've seen him act. He has this, he has this extraordinary mad theatre thing that he does at book festivals called Six Writers in Search of a Character, depending on how many writers can get to make complete fools of themselves. And talked a little bit about books. Uh, and I've read bits of things online and on various sites and stuff like that, but I'd never actually shamefully read a full novel by Douglas. 
So I'm, I'm now a complete fan. Blood Still Classics uh, Tartan Noir. It's Rebecca Conley is a journalist in Inverness, but she's from Glasgow and her father is from the Highlands, from the Highlands, from Lewis again, I think. And it's, you know, it's the dirty doings going on and uh, particularly around Culloden, but it links back. So there's been a murder in Culloden. I'm not giving anything away. It's not a spoiler. Been a murder uh, in the Culloden battlefield and it links both the past and the present in brilliant ways. It's it's so it's got all that stuff that you want from a from a thriller, you know, who done it and how they're going to catch them. At the same time, it's it's got all that texture about linking back to 1745 and the Jacobite uprising and tells you quite a lot about that as well. And it's beautifully written. I mean, it's just really beautifully written. It's just it's a joy to read. It's also when it wants to be very funny. So it's kind of got everything. So it's, it's, it's unputdownable. So I'm, I'm not a fan. I'm going to be reading everything that Douglas has written. Well, I can tell you that the next book in that series with Rebecca Conley as the main character is called A Rattle of Bones. And that's coming out in August. So you won't have too long to wait to, to read the next one in that series. Fantastic. Clearly there's one before this because it keeps referring, you don't need to know it, it keeps referring to something that happened on the Isle of Storm, which I suspect is made up. But it sounds great. He's actually done a very good job of selling his previous book in case you hadn't read it, because the wee snippets that you get in, in this one, you go, God, I must read that one. That sounds really good. So that, that's also quite clever. One of the things that you mentioned at the, the turn of the year, and uh, you did say that you were going to try and read more poetry. So how are you getting on with that? I'm um, getting on, not bad at all, actually. A lot of this kind of online, because I've been now contributing to online uh, poetry sites, and therefore I want to read what other people are doing. And some of those people are, are, are well-known uh, or well-enough-known. So that's interesting. But the one that I'm reading just now, um, and it's for, we'll talk about this later, but it's for the Aleppo Book Festival, because I'll be talking to him, is Jim Carrath, um, who is the, the Glasgow macker, actually, uh, which is interesting because all his poetry always has been very much about Ayrshire, where, where he came from. And he writes very, he's, he's from a farming family and he grew up on a farm. And these, this is just a beautiful set of poems, very much of a sense of place very much set in the farming areas of Ayrshire, but also the, the dying towns of Ayrshire and about communities that are kind of under pressure at the moment. He then does, uh, and, and this might send you running for the hills, uh, Paul, but the, the middle section of the book is, is actually kind of a take on, uh, believe it or not, Ulysses or the Odyssey, but within Ayrshire farming uh, land. And I haven't really got too much into that part of the book yet. Some poetry books, you can flick through them and you read the, the poems really quickly. These ones are finding almost a poem a day, and it's kind of it's not because they're dense or difficult or not. I mean, they're, they're quite beautiful, but they, they do make you want to put the book down and just think. So I find myself reading them really slowly and really enjoying that, and not trying to kind of you know go through them all at any pace. But Jim Carrath, he's he's a, he's a phenomenal man as well, a very funny and interesting guy. I've liked his poetry in the past, but this this strikes me as being a, a, quite a brilliant book. It's called Balefire. Well, can I tell you, I've actually read a poetry book as well, and, hey. and uh, just to try and show off, it was a book called Alexa, What Is There To Know About Love by Brian Bilston, who I think is quite prominent on Twitter uh, in terms of his poetry and quite funny. So I was going to actually read the poem, Alexa, What Is There To Know About Love? So obviously anybody who's got an Alexa will, will hopefully appreciate this. Alexa, what is there to know about love? What is there to know about love? A glove is a garment that covers the hand for protection from the cold or dirt and Alexa, how does a human heart work? How does a human heart work? Blood is first received in the right atrium via two veins, the vena cava superior and inferior. Alexa, where do we go to when we die? Where do we go to when we die? Activating Google Maps, completed activation. Would you like to start from your current location? Alexa, what does it mean to be alone? What does it mean to be alone? 
It is the silence left by words unsaid, the cold expanse of half a bed. It is the endless stretching of the hours, the needless tending of plastic flowers. It is an echo unanswered in a cave, the fateful ping of the microwave. It is the fraying of a worn shirt cuff and the howl. Alexa, stop. That's enough. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. So it's full of some quite uh, insightful, very some very, very funny poems. And I would, I would thoroughly recommend that. That sounds brilliant. I really that that sounds like great poetry. Beautifully done. Fantastic. And talking of poetry, it takes us on to a seamless link. When I just I always like to mention some book news. And the first part of this book news is actually a poetry competition. I'd sent you the details of it. It's run by the Gutter Magazine and the Edwin Morgan Trust. Basically, it's in in sort of memory of Edwin Morgan. He would have been a hundred years old last year in twenty twenty. He didn't publish his breakthrough collection, The Second Life, until the age of 48. So in recognition of that, Gutter Magazine and the Edwin Morgan Trust are uh, running a new competition, a new poetry competition for poets over the age of 40. And basically, it's a, a single poem you have to write that relates to or springs off from any aspect of Edwin Morgan's life or work. The entry is free. So you basically, you just have to be over 40 You've not had a previous full collection of poems published and your poem can't have been previously published in print or online and the poem can be in English, Scots or Gaelic and the closing date for that is the 31st of March and I think the first prize is £500. So certainly, as I say, I sent you the details because you're you're now the, uh, the poet of 2021. Well, yeah, and I'm interested as well, actually, for two reasons. One, um, I mean, I'm not an expert enough in Edwin Morgan's poetry, but um, he, he spent his final years um, in a in a home at the end of our street here. Uh, not not because he was in any way ill or needed to. Uh, he just uh, felt that there's a bit too much work in his flat alone. So he decided to take a room, basically, in, in this home along the road there. So, and so I went along to visit him a few times. Um, so I've got, I've got really nice memories of that. And him talking the last, it must be the last things he was writing, because, you know, he, he died not long after my, my last visit. So yeah, I'm kind of interested in maybe trying my hand at that, or even if I don't, just to remember that and do something with it. But the other interesting connection for me is the first thing I ever had published 30-odd years ago was in Gutter Magazine. So I feel as if I feel as if maybe the omens are there. I should try for that. Absolutely. Well, you know, listen, it's, it's, as they say in football parlance, your name's on the trophy. <laughs> other, other news, it's a couple of things that actually happened this week. Uh, obviously, this podcast is going out on the last day of the month, but... Um, Alistair Grady, I think we mentioned it in the last podcast, was on February the 25th. And I think I'm hoping that it's going to be an annual thing. But one of the things that uh, I'd flagged up to you as well, which was just a great bit of news that I saw, is that there is a, apparently there's an adaptation of Alistair's novel, Poor Things, which is at the moment is scheduled for release in the autumn of this year. Emma Stone, she's been cast as the main character in it. And I think if that film does actually transpire, I mean, it's obviously going to bring Alistair's work. And Poor Things is such a brilliant book. It will bring it to a whole new audience. So when I saw that, I was, I was really excited about it. I, I think, uh, yeah, another example of Alistair being before his time, because when you think of the Poor Things now, it would fit so much with the TV uh, kind of world of today. You can just see that as being both movie, television movie, whatever, those kinds of issues without ruining the novel too much with mucking about with human life and recreating life and uh, doing all sorts it's got that kind of element of horror kind of eroticism and all those things it would be wonderfully visual 
Um, so you're right, it's fantastic that uh, any film of any book by Alistair has been made, but particularly like you, my favourite book of Alistair's is, uh, is Poor Things. On the back of finding out that, I've, I've now looked it out and it's just lying in my pile of books to read. That'll be one of the, the rereads of this year, so definitely before that film comes out. And the other thing I wanted to mention just now, again, it's been running from the 18th to the 27th of February, so it's finished, but it was the Paisley Book Festival. But you can go onto YouTube, and I think they've put most, if not all, of the events on that. And it was all done online. I've watched a couple of events. It was a really great event that Kirsten Innes hosted with Douglas Stewart, Graham Armstrong, and Andrew O'Hagan, just on Scottish masculinities, and they've all books out. And the other one was a, a friend of mine, Joe Donnelly. He was on the podcast last year. He, he wrote a book last year called Checkpoint, and it's all about the power of video games and how they can help you in terms of your mental health. And, and he tells his own story of how it helped him. So he did an event there. But I think if you if you want to try and catch up with anything from the Paisley Book Festival, then go on to YouTube. And I mentioned Andrew Hagen, obviously brought out his novel Mayflies. And the reason I was going to mention this, I read the book and it's obviously garnered a lot of praise and I've seen a lot of praise online for it. I found it quite a difficult book to read. The first section is set in 1986 and it's quite, I think it's quite an autobiographical book. It's like him reminiscing to an extent of, of when him and his pals were that age, 18 to 20, and they go to this music festival in Manchester. And it was quite interesting because I was 20 back then in 1986 and there was lots of bits of that section that really resonated in terms of that interaction with the pals. Some of it you could resonate with some of it when they, particularly when they were at the festival and they were getting absolutely hammered and they were trying to chase women. Some of their conversations seemed a bit highbrow when my experience of being that age and being drunk, you were only looking for another drink or trying to find a girl who would possibly find you attractive. So anything beyond that, that you weren't conversing that way. But it was fine. The second section takes it up to 2016 and one character gets in touch with another one, friends from back then to say, He's been diagnosed with cancer, he's terminally ill, and he wants his pal to help him to go to Switzerland to end his life. So effectively, it's, well, I suppose the topic is assisted dying, assisted suicide, but it reads less like a novel and it's not nuanced. It's basically just felt to me like a kind of polemic of Andrew Hagen's obviously in favour of assisted dying. And even the one character in that section who is the kind of partner then becomes the wife of the guy who's dying, she's obviously against it because she doesn't want him to die. But then they just more or less kind of feels like they just say, well, you know, that's that's his wishes. That's what he wants. And she goes, well, okay then. And I felt it was quite a challenging book for me because I didn't feel it was it's a nuanced debate. And I thought it was, it was almost kind of trying to just say, right, this is the way it is. But I found it difficult because my, I would personally be on the, the other side of that argument from Andrew Hagen. And that's where I was, the challenge of reading a book where you don't agree with what the author's trying to say, but, you know, still trying to work your way through it. Well, there's an argument to say we should all do that, you know, and if you come away at the end of it not any more convinced, at least, at least you understand something of the other person's point of view. So yeah, you'd mentioned this to me before, and I was trying to think of books that I'd read. The, the one that springs to mind immediately for me, but it isn't a novel, is Dawkins' is the, the God Delusion. But the way we could have just like never mentioned this book, the three, us, us three cyclists that cycle a lot through Spain and places uh, when we do a lot of talking, we're all three big talkers, and one's an absolute convinced atheist, the other is a practicing Catholic and me in the middle is a militant uh, agnostic that uh, we argue endlessly about it. So, you know, I, I just disagree so profoundly with uh, Dawkins' book. But it was kind of interesting to, to read it. In terms of novels, the, the one that just brings to me for me is Ernest Hemingway. And particularly the Spanish Civil War, you know, I'm really interested in the Spanish Civil War. And uh, I mean, he absolutely and utterly throughout the war 
sides with, uh, quite rightly, the Republican uh, government, but even when it's being clearly controlled by the communists, he never criticizes it. He never criticizes it when they attack the anarchists or when they attack other factions or whatever. Uh, so, you know, um, I do find reading them slightly uncomfortable, saying, well, you know, I think you could have said more about this or, or brought out the issues more. But again, you know, I suppose reading other people's points of view is kind of, in the end of the day, what literature's all about, isn't it? What books are all about. It's, I just feel that, you know, if it's a non-fiction book, you're setting yourself up and you're saying, this is this is my argument, this is my beliefs, These are this is the evidence why, this is my reasons why, and you say, that's fine, you can agree or disagree. I always think if you take it in a novel form, I just feel it should be more nuanced. You might ultimately come to the same conclusion, and I'm fine with that, that obviously, particularly on that subject, I'm not sure if I'm in a minority. I know a lot of people would, you know, agree with Andrew Hagen's view on it, which is fine, because it is a, it's a personal choice and it's a personal opinion. I just think within a novel, it could have explored those differences much, I felt, more than what at times felt more like a polemic rather than a than a, no, a novel narrative. I mean, it's, it's a bit of a cliche, <clears throat> that thing that uh, good art, whatever that might be, songs, whatever, doesn't answer questions, it asks them. No, I think it's too much of a cliche, to be honest. You know, a song or a novel or whatever can do whatever the hell it wants to do, to be perfectly honest. But, you know, there's some truth in that, that, you know, if you're going out, it's like I find it a lot, not so much now, there was a period in Scottish theatre when you would go to plays that were kind of um, ideologically in a particular uh, vein. And as a part of me always wanted to say, you know, halfway through a three-hour performance, honestly, I'll sign your petition, I'll go on the march, but let me out of this bloody theatre. Don't lecture me in art. If I wanted to read about that, then I'll go and read an article about why you should ban the bomb or whatever, you know, but uh, I don't want to be lectured in art. So I think if, if you ever veer towards absolutely giving your point of view across, then it strikes me it's not really what, it's an essay, it's not what an artist should do. As always in this podcast, as well as talking about the books that we have read, there's always a chat about the books that we're currently reading. I'm still uh, working my way through David Copperfield. I'm about just, just under halfway through it. So that's kind of, as an ongoing one. What I've been doing as well, I've been reading that, I've been reading other things, and a book that I just started reading. And the reason I picked it up was because I think it's got a brilliant title. It's a non-fiction book. It's a kind of travelogue. It's called The Lost Pianos of Siberia by Sophie Roberts. Basically, I don't know how she's discovered this, because this is obviously what I'm going to find out in the course of the book, but she said that dotted through Siberia are pianos that were created during the boom years for Russia of the 19th century, and it almost telling the story of, of Russian history. And it goes back from 1762 all the way through to almost kind of like the present day of different pianos in different parts of Siberia. But she's telling the story of the people and what they experienced in the course of what has been a quite a turbulent history. I mean, I think the title, as I say itself, is incredible, but I just, I thought the whole idea of it as doing a different kind of book, which is a history of Siberia, but also a travelogue, but using it with these pianos is absolutely fascinating. And even some of it, she's got some the photographs in it of these pianos that are like a couple of hundred years old and they're just sitting in almost decrepit houses now and they're, but they're just these little gems hidden away that she's managed to discover a lovely idea it's like you know finding an angle isn't it to tell a story that of, of a history and just finding an angle a way of bringing the reader into it and getting their interest and coloring the story in different ways it sounds brilliant that sounds really good i'm looking forward to really getting in, into that i've kind of just started reading it in terms of your own reading what are you uh, yeah, a couple of things um I'm going back to a book which I've actually read before because of, a, again, a project I'm involved in. I hope will come off at some point. A very good friend of mine uh, is an artist and he is, I don't know if I've spoken to you about this before, um, he's building a wall of death, you know, where the motorbikes go around the, the cylinder and you watch from above. Uh, he's, he's a keen uh, motorbiker. 
And there's only about five or six of these in, in the whole of Europe, I think. And he, he's building a new one. He's, he's built two before. He's, he's quite a character, Stephen. And there's a great book uh, called Riding the Wall of Death by Nick Corbell, which I read some years ago when, when Stephen first started on this wall of death obsession that he's got. But I'm reading it again, and it's just full of these amazing stories of people, where, where the wall of death came from, how it was first invented, where the idea came from, the, the, the original daredevil riders. And some of these stories are unbelievable. It's a number of disabled people, you know, people who were, had uh, quadriplegic but still managed to ride a, a bike around, uh, around a cylinder at enormous speed and do tricks on it. Uh, a blind woman. I mean, just amazing people, nearly all from traveller families who did these extraordinary things. But it takes into account the, the, the whole kind of the, the, the kind of whole mystique of motorbikes and the, the wall of death. Um, so it's a brilliant book and it's great to go back to. I'd forgotten how astonishing the story is. And the other book I'm about to start reading now is uh, Leela Soma, uh, Murder at the Mela, which has got a great title. I mean, I love crime fiction. I like uh, Scottish crime fiction. So this is a new voice to me. I know she's written several books before. I think it's her first crime novel, though, if it can actually be described as that. I don't know yet because I haven't really started. I've read the first few pages, but it's, uh, it looks it looks terrific. Well, listen, I'll, I'll uh, take a note of them and uh, test you on them next month. <laughs> um, this is always, again, we, we started it last month and, and just in terms of some other podcast recommendations and the first of these, which I haven't really started listening to yet, but again, we were mentioning Alistair Grady earlier on. There's also a 40th anniversary edition of Lanark that's just been brought out as well, which looks quite special. But there's a podcast that started called Alistair Grey Rereads, and I think it might be his niece who is in charge of it, curating it. And it's various, either people talking about Alistair Grey or Alistair, like some clips of interviews and readings that he's done, uh, all quite short. So they, I think that's certainly something, you know, just a taste of Alistair's unique voice, which is, is worth listening to. But as I say, I haven't started listening to it yet. Two podcasts I have been listening to. One, it's I think there's eight or nine episodes in this podcast called Transmission, which is the official story of Joy Division and New Order. It was Martin Gregg, who again was on the podcast a couple of times last year, who pointed me in that direction. I think on the back of, he'd listened to my chat with Stuart Braithwaite from Mogwai, and Stuart mentioned about how he's a massive fan of, of Joy yeah, Division. dropping now. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and um, that is a great podcast. It's uh, the actress Maxine Peake who narrates it. But she's got interviews, in the course of the podcast, she tells the story of Joy Division and then New Order up to just after uh, the success of Blue Monday. But she interviews the four members of the band of the New Order and various other people like Liam Gallagher, Bono. She's got old clips of interviews with people like Tony Wilson, even some interviews with Ian Curtis, who obviously was the lead singer in a Joy Division that, that died. It's absolutely brilliant. And for MD, particularly who loves that music, it's well worth listening to. And the other one, which I, I just started listening to, there's only two episodes at the moment, is one that you can only get it on Spotify. It's called Renegades Born in the USA. And it's basically podcast chat between uh, Barack Obama and Bruce Springsteen, where they talk about their lives, music, and about this. Yeah. the kind of enduring love of America. And I've listened to the first one where they kind of talk about kind of how their friendship came about, but then also talking about this idea of how they both felt outsiders, but for different reasons, because Barack Obama says, obviously, I know why I was an outsider, or I am. Or, but he said, you know, to then Bruce Springsteen telling his story. It's brilliant, I have to say. It is absolutely brilliant. I've listened to the first episode. I think the second episode, they kind of really go into detail about race because race plays such an important part in American history, culture, and present-day politics. The two of them, it was just brilliant listening to the two of them, so I would thoroughly recommend that. 
Well, I, I can't because basically my podcast life is guided entirely by you. So whatever you mention <laughs> in one of these podcasts, I then of our podcasts, I then go off and listen to those ones. So it's uh, it's Obama and uh, and Bruce, which are two heroes of mine anyway, uh, in different ways. Uh, so yeah, I'd, I'd heard about that one. I really fancy maybe as you mentioned to me, but it sounds it sounds great. I'm going to break the rules here and just mention one thing. It's not often, I mean, given that uh, my job is to teach television, this isn't about television, but there's one thing I wouldn't mind mentioning. It's not a drama, actually. Yeah, so this is a, a documentary by Adam Curtis, who makes these very kind of unusual, whole new experimental take on making a documentary. So it's not really a documentary, um, or it is a documentary, but completely different. It's mixed in with music. It's mixed in with unbelievable footage. And it's kind of about how we see the world. It's called Can't Get You Out of My Head. It was on BBC, it's still on iPlayer. It's around in various different places, but it's extraordinary footage from all over the world. And it kind of looks into the how the, the world's got into conspiracy theories and how uh, information is uh, is manipulated and all of that. But it's it's just, it's kind of mesmerizing to watch, particularly because of all this incredible footage and great music. So it's, uh, it's not a podcast and uh, it's not something we normally discuss on here, but I thought it was great. Well, listen, you can't go far wrong if you've chosen that, that great Kylie song as the title of your programme. So. Absolutely. It tells you something about a good documentary <laughs> maker. <laughs> That's a great song. In terms of podcasts, as well as just having played a wee clip of the current podcast with Douglas Skelton, I also want to play a clip of the next podcast, which is coming out on Monday, March the 1st. And it's a podcast interview with the American writer Jane Spiley, who won the Pulitzer Prize for fiction, I think, back in 1992 for her novel A Thousand Acres. And she's just written a book called The Strays of Paris, which I read and as part of this for the podcast. And it was brilliant to I've, I've read a couple of Jane's books before this. So here's just a wee clip of Jane talking about The Strays of Paris. So as for the, uh, I don't know, the kindness, my experience of people and animals is they are mostly kind. And I couldn't even think of a bad person to include all of the, all of the animal, all the animals and the people have their own issues, most of them survival issues. And I thought that was enough complexity for them. So I started writing it in 2009. So I didn't have any idea that when I finally got it published, it was going to be published now in this chaotic time. But I think it's a, I do think it's a relief and a good book to read in the chaos. Because one of the things I was, it was funny, I, I read, it was an interview, interview, I think, with you that I'm not sure if somebody had said to you, I don't know if it was at your agent or whoever said that this, you'll never get a film deal out of this book because there's no villain in it. <laughs> but I had to, I, I must admit, when I was reading it, I kept thinking, I'd be really disappointed if Pixar don't phone you at some point because I thought this is this would be I, I think that's perfect for the cinema. Well, I certainly hope it works out. I do have somebody that's interested, so we'll see. We can just knock on wood and hope for the best and all those things. Now, Chris, we when I mentioned earlier on. Uh, about some book news and we were talked about obviously the Paisley Book Festival that had just finished and you know people can still see all the events on YouTube. You mentioned earlier uh, in the discussion about the Ullapool Book Festival. I know you are heavily involved in that that's going to be coming up later on this year and uh, you've got some details about that. Yeah so um, a couple of things. First of all 
I'm, I'm, I'm biased, but the reason I'm biased is because uh, I, I went to Ullapool for one of my books to, just as a, a visiting writer, and I was just blown away, absolutely blown away. I mean, I've enjoyed it virtually every festival I've been at, but Ullapool is just, just so special for a whole number of reasons, it, mainly because it's in an incredibly beautiful place. Can't get much more beautiful than Ullapool. It's also fantastic in that uh, it's, it's set around really nice places within the town of Ullapool and kind of the, the centre where everybody kind of gathers, not where the readings happen, but where the people gather is the, the Cayley Place, which is one of my favourite restaurants, bars, hotels in the whole of Scotland, anywhere in fact, it's a fantastic place. But it's mainly about the people. The other thing is that they don't have a green room. Every other festival I know has a green room. Now, if it goes online, then I'll talk about that in a second. You know, there's no such thing, but it's the only festival I know which has no green room. So it's really a readers' festival, readers and writers mix. So the first time I went there, one of the reasons why I fell in love with it so much was uh, I was still smoking at that point. So I was outside on on rainy nights, but they're still lovely and Ullapool's beautiful no matter what. With William McIlvany, I got to know William McIlvany well over three days, and everybody does because we're all just in it together. So it's got a fantastic atmosphere. There's normally a Cayley, which won't be this year, obviously, but there's music of all different sorts, and it's just this little kind of almost. And I say it really sadly, secret. It shouldn't be a secret. It should be absolutely famous as one of the best festivals in the UK. It's just an extraordinarily beautiful place to be with an amazing atmosphere, mainly because the organisers are such... There are a bunch of women in their 70s who don't take a penny for organising it. They just love books. And so that just comes across. So this year, we are still saying that we're going to go live. It might have to change and... What Johnson said last night and what Sturgeon said, uh, sorry, last week and what Sturgeon said as well, we don't know yet, but we're holding off until the beginning of April before we decide. But we think that spaced, so using the hall, but only less than half the amount of people in the hall, masked, distanced, all that stuff, we can still have a live festival. We'll have a marquee outside with a screen, so you pay less for that half price if you sit in the marquee and watch on a screen, spaced again. And even if you do go live, that will also be online. Um, So we're really, really hoping that there's still going to be a live festival in Ullapool between the 7th and 9th of May. If it doesn't happen, we will do, and we've got it more or less organised, or they've got it more or less organised. Joan Michael, who's the organiser, has got it organised to put it online over a number of weeks. Uh, Terrific Donald Murray, who I mentioned before, Lila Soma, Jim Carruth. uh, One of the reasons why I'm reading these books is because we're, we're building up to that. All sorts of writers. Have a look online at uh, who's who's there. Big big names from uh, all over the place and just really interesting names. The kind of geniuses at Ullapool picking just a right mix of people. So I'm really excited for that. I'm really excited that it might be actually live and that people can actually go to Ullapool, um and and see a book. It's a small festival anyway. But uh, yeah, watch the space and I'll keep you uh, informed on the podcast, Paul. The minute we get any news, if it's going to be live or if we do have to go online. Because I think the idea of for anyone to be able to go to a live event, as you say, there'll be the capacity will be, be reduced. But you know, if you're going to somewhere safely and to actually be sitting and listening to somebody reading and be able to kind of interact, I think everybody, certainly from a, a reading point of view, but it'll be the same with music, it'll be the same with sporting events. I think people are just looking forward to actually having live events that they can they can be part of. The Ullapool Book Festival particularly lends itself to it. Even if it's actually most of the festivals I've been at in May, the weather's been good. And that one, William McIlvany, I was quite pleased with reading all the time because it meant I was going to cocoon with, uh, with this great writer. But by and large, it's been, it's been very good weather. But even if it's raining, there's something about Ullapool. All the conversations happen outside because you're on the, the, the banks of Loch Broom, which is so beautiful. 
and Ullapool Hill, which is a gorgeous walk just behind, uh, and just walking around the little village. In fact, everybody does. You, you don't tend to sit in kind of, you know, uh, small bars and things. You tend to actually walk about the streets, walk down to the sea, walk down to the pier in the harbour, watch the boat come in from Stornoway. So you're kind of outside anyway, and you're kind of spaced anyway. So if, if there's any place that can do a book festival live, then I think Ullapool's got a good chance for it because it's almost outdoor anyway. Oh, certainly fingers crossed that that, that yeah. happens. Um, so that was, what did you say, the 7th to the 9th of May? 7th to 9th of May. We've we've talked about books that we've read or we are reading. Uh, just a couple of books I was mentioning I'm planning to read over the course of the next month, hopefully. One of them is, is a book called Butterfly and the Typewriter, which is a biography of John Kennedy Toole, who wrote A Confederacy of Dunces, which was published posthumously. The book's by Corey McLaughlin. I've always, I mean, I've loved a Confederacy of Dunces as a, as a novel. So I'm just fascinated to find out about John Kennedy too. And the other book, I was looking through my bookshelves and realised, I think I've got more novels by Robin Jenkins than any other writer. And I've read read a few, but then I'm thinking, I really want to to get back into reading them. Obviously, I always talk about The Cone Gallery, The Thistle and the Grail, and I've read you know a few others, but I decided I'm going to try and get back into to reading you know, if not one Robin Jenkins a month, but certainly trying, I think there's about 27 novels I've got, so there's plenty there. And the one I'm going to read is a book called Poverty Castle. And it's a book about a, a guy who's retired, who's wanting to, is trying to, to write a book. I mean, I've never been disappointed by anything that Robin Jenkins has, has written. So I'm really, I'm really looking forward to, to reading that. Yeah, I may, I may have told you before, probably have, because I tell everybody all the time. Um, I knew Robert, to, again, just a, a night for first for me, my first ever reading. I hope, you didn't, I hope you didn't call him Robert. But... Ro- sorry, Robin. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't told you about a book here, it's by Robert. Uh, Robin, um, the first book I ever, uh, the first uh, reading I ever did was with Robin in Byers Road in Glasgow. One of his late novels, I was doing, I was doing the, the radio show for Radio Scotland at the time. But everybody knew that Robin was very elderly and not well. And he agreed to an interview. And so now to meet him, and I started to ask a question about the book. And then once we finished about the latest book, I started to talk about Fergus Lamont and the Cohen Gatherers and everything else. And he started talking for a bit, and he went, excuse me, are you doing my obituary? And I was, essentially, yeah. And I said, yeah. <laughs> I said, yeah, probably. Yeah. He went, okay, <laughs> and carried on. And actually, he died about six weeks after that. He was a completely, he's an amazing man. I didn't know well. I met him that time down when I did my first reading and then I met him in his house. I was there for a couple of hours uh, and he just struck me on both occasions being an incredible guy. He's like 10 different writers stuck into one. He, does, he seems to, every book seems to be completely different for the next one. He's a, he's a incredibly underrated writer, I think. I think he should be much, much, much better known. Absolutely. Is there anything else in your pile of books that you're, you're planning to tackle in the next month? Yeah, my next books are going to be mainly around uh, the uh, Ullapool Book Festival. So I've got to try and read first to everybody before I get there. I haven't got a list here in front of me. I should have, but I've got a whole number of books to read there. But the ones that uh, I'm, because I'm interviewing Leela Soma, so I'm looking forward to Murder at the Mail, which I mentioned, and reading Jim Carras a bit more. But yeah, it's always a nice thing to do. Every year I've got a list of books that I read before May, so that once I'm up in Ullapool, hopefully I'll be up in Ullapool, I can chat to people about their books. And I was going to finish off with just uh, mentioning maybe two or three books that are, are, that are coming out for people to look uh, forward to. There's a couple that I'd, I'd seen that have they've actually just come out. Uh, one is a book called Repentance by Eloisa Diaz. And it's set in Buenos Aires between 1981 and 2011. And it's a kind of, the main character 
as a police officer. And obviously in 1981, it's in the middle of the, the military dictatorship and it revolves around what happens when his brother disappears, becomes one of the disappeared. And then it steps forward to 20 years later, but obviously with a link to the past, it, lo- it looks absolutely fascinating. Another book which has just come out, which is set in Edinburgh, it's called The Library of the Dead by T.L. Huchu. And the main character is, is someone who drops out of school to become a ghost stalker. And she now speaks to Edinburgh's dead, carrying messages to the living. And again, it's just quite a fascinating, it's a first in a series. And again, it's quite strange and kind of, I'm not sure, a fantastical horror type thing. It looks quite interesting. The final one that, that caught my eye is a book called City of Vengeance by D.V. Bishop. And it's set in Florence in the mid-16th century. And again, it's the main character is Cesare Aldo, who's a former soldier. And, you know, it's a historical crime novel. But the reason I was going to mention that is that this book, Bloody Scotland Festival, every year they have a pitch-perfect competition where people get a chance to, you know, I think unpublished authors to pitch their idea. That won the competition. And then subsequently he was awarded a Robert Louis Stevenson Fellowship by the Scottish Book Trust while writing the novel. It's now come to fruition and it's just come out. So I think it's that kind of idea of, you know, never give up because, you know, in the back of somebody just in this competition, it pitches idea two years down the line, he's got the first in what I presume is going to be a series of books. It's always good to hear that, isn't it? People who, I was trying to remind people that Daniel Defoe wrote, Robson Cruz, thank you, when he was 61, which at that time was pretty elderly. It's probably the equivalent of being about 81 now. And then went on to write lots more books. So I'm always interested to hear. But the older I get, the more interest I'm in hearing people who get success late in life. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because one of the recent podcasts with Tara Fitzpatrick, who's a journalist, and she had mentioned Where the Crawdads Sing. And that was a book that came out, I'm not sure if it was last year or the year before. And I think it became a bit of a, a publishing phenomenon. I haven't read or heard a bad word about it. And I think the author, Delia Owens, sure she was in her 70s she is in her 70s and that's her first novel so there's hope for us all absolutely it's one of the great things about this this line of business yeah you can you know who knows and you can write also i do i think it's it's very democratic isn't it, it doesn't matter if you're a 19 year old writer or an 89 year old writer if it's a good book it's a good book and that's that's great that anybody can write and uh, anybody can read and it's fantastic so yeah always always uh cheering to know Absolutely. And a cheery note on which to end uh, the podcast. Chris, thanks for joining me again on the Extra Extra That's great. Podcast. I look forward to every time. It's lovely. And uh, we shall return on the 31st of March. And uh, as I say, I will test Chris on the books that he says he's going to read just to see if he is a man of his word. I tell you now, I'm not. <laughs>